Let's have a quick conversation. Superheroes. Who's your favorite? Superheroes are everywhere right now, so I want you to think about it real quick. If you have a favorite superhero, A, or B, what's the most recent superhero movie that you've watched? Um, holler at me. Who, who's the superhero that you love right now? Somebody give me one. Spider-Man. He's top on a lot of lists. Who else? Batman what? Wonder Woman. Yeah, we got to get some, some, some lady superheroes up in here. Who else? Thor. Dude, so Thor's one of my favorites right now. I recently have, have just fallen in love with Thor and Ant-Man, I think because the Marvel movies make them so funny. Uh, superheroes are an incredibly big part of our culture, and they have been for almost 100 years. They've been a big part of, there's been a subculture. Like, you might have grown up in an era where it's like, if you know about superheroes, you know, like, you, you don't talk about it with but a few certain people. But, like, now it's like, no, this is a cool thing to do. Everybody's doing superheroes. And it all started, really, this new wave of superheroes started in 2008 when a very important movie came out. The first Iron Man movie. Now, this was a big deal because to the average person who wasn't already a comic book, you know, geek, didn't know about Iron Man. Like, he was a big character. He was a big deal. But it's like, if it wasn't Superman or Spider-Man uh, or maybe the X-Men by that point, like, I don't really know the superheroes. But, man, then Iron Man comes out, and he's an absolute rock star, and it kicks off something called the MCU. Now, I know that most of you know this, okay? This is for the few who haven't heard this. There's something called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Do you know about the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Okay, a lot of you like, of course I do. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was a, the first ever that this kind of thing has been attempted. And it's a series of movies and TV shows that are all interconnected in the same universe. That's, and I'm, I'm throwing myself under the bus here. This is a nerd term. Like when I say someone's a geek or a nerd, I'm not talking about someone else, okay? This is, I'm right there with them, okay? And so, so the universe, the Marvel universe has these characters, and in the comic books they all interact and they have storylines that go together. And the movies have been genius because since Iron Man... Each phase of the series has had movie, 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 TV show, TV, TV show, and then they all interact and they, they kind of culminate in this big event or this big thing that all the superheroes have to come together and solve. And the brilliant thing of this is it has made someone billions of dollars. Uh, I, I tried to look it up. It's hard to get a clear number, but it, it, a couple places have confirmed this, that since 2008, uh, the Marvel movies have made something in the ballpark of $29 billion dollars. Like that's more money than a lot of small countries make ever in their whole existence. And this is just movies because we eat them up. I talk about heroes this morning because I think it's something that as a culture, it goes back deep into our roots as a civilization. We long for heroes. You look at the world around us and there's a need for heroes. Even in our old American culture, we had some of the larger-than-life heroes, people like the tall tales of Paul Bunyan and, and John Henry. Like, these are the guys that built America. And there are heroes in Great Britain. You've got Robin Hood. And he's robbing the rich to, to feed the poor. And people need a hero to step in and do things. You take it to ancient cultures. And there's all these stories and myths of, like, super strong people. And they made their kings into gods. And they made their generals into saviors. And, like, all these people step in. Why? Because deep down in our gut, we see that the world is broken. And we want more than nothing else for someone to come and, like Mighty Mouse, here I come to save the day. You want to come in and do something about it. We need a hero. We wish somebody could do something about it. We celebrate local heroes. In fact, Wednesday of Love Agent Week coming up this week is, is Love a Hero Day. And you think about the first responders, uh, the paramedics, the, the teachers that are teaching in, in our schools, uh, you know, the, the librarians that help you find stuff in the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> These are people that step in and they help you when you're in need. You think about the way that children look up to their parents or to their role models. And we place these people on pedestals 
because we're looking for heroes. And, and here's the deal. We're not the only ones looking for heroes today. God is looking for heroes. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you. As I wrote that sentence, I was like, that sounds super corny. <laughs> it sounds super corny. They're like, we're not the only ones looking for heroes. God is looking for heroes. But I don't know what could be more true. Because when you watch a random news cycle, you find that we live in a broken world. And there are people in desperate need of someone to simply reach down and give them a hand and help lift them up. And you know who God uses for that? People. Me and you. So we're in the final week of a teaching series that we've been calling Together We Are. And it's kind of like an overview, a look, that we've we've done this every two or three years since we started our church. We'll have a series that we return to this kind of manifesto statement that together we are, and we'll put it on the screen, we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. This is our mission. This is actually our goal. Will you say it with me? Let's do it together. Together we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And what that means, like a lot of organizations have like mission statements or vision statements. That's not what this is. Like, sure, that would be a great mission to be that. It's actually our goal statement. This is our metric. This is how we know if we're winning. If individually we become this type of person, a God-chasing, grace-shaped love agent. And we spent a lot of weeks talking about that over the last, last month or so. And to be a God-chaser says, I'm going to put God at the center of all my decisions. I'm going to make him the filter of how I use my money and my time and build my relationships. What I do with my career and how I use my skills and my talents. That's a God-chaser. I'm pursuing him with my life. Last week we talked about being grace-shaped. And the concept of being grace-shaped says that the world shapes me in a lot of ways. And I see my own brokenness. Who doesn't know their own brokenness? But that I can take that to God. And we said grace is a gift. And he gifts us with the abilities that we have. And he also gifts us with the ability to be made new and to be made whole through the person of Jesus Christ. And then this third piece, to be a love agent, says if I'm chasing God with my whole life, and if I'm letting him shape me with his grace, then what? We have to begin to overflow into the world around us as agents of his love. We are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. So being a love agent for God starts with understanding God's love for us. And say, we're going to be in the Bible as we always are this week. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles if you've got one. Uh, uh, This first one you might not even need to look up. It's John 3.16. I'll look at that in a second. But if you need a Bible, uh, we've got some on the gray shelf right there by the door. Go grab one and sign up for a service project while you're over there. And, um, or, and bring it back to your seat. You can use it this morning. You can keep it. Put your name in the front cover if you want to have one for keeps. Uh, or just put it back when you're done with it today. But what does it mean for God to love us? Like that's often what is the message of a sermon at a church, that God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And that's true. John three sixteen says that God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's John three sixteen. It's one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. People who don't believe in Jesus have seen this on signs at uh, like, you know, uh, WrestleMania, I guess, or like football games. Like, it's everywhere. People are like, I'm a Christian. I'm holding up John three sixteen, And what it means is that God loves us. He loves us so much that he became a human being. We call that human being Jesus. And that Jesus, God in the flesh, came into the world to show us the way back to God's love. That's how much God loves us. But today we're not talking about God's love for us. I mean, we are. But instead, I want to focus on the extension of God's love. What does it mean for us to be his hands and his feet? What does it mean for us to love people with God's love? Because that's what it means to be a love agent. We looked at this verse every time 
every, every week in this series, and I want to look at it again. One time Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied like this. This is Mark 12, verse 30, one place where you find it. He says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's actually where we get the idea of being a God chaser. Love the Lord your God. What's the most greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Pursue God with every part of you. But then he says the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So when God looks at the overview of all the things he wants us to do in this world, the two that rise to the top, and the way it's actually written in the original Hebrew from Deuteronomy, it, it, it actually it puts them equal to each other. That we would need to love God with everything in us, and we need to love others with everything in us. It's not like an either or. It's a both. And. What does it mean to love people? When you learn about the love of God, when you experience his forgiveness, when you start seeing the purpose that he puts in your life, something happens in you. I believe it's because God's very presence through his Holy Spirit starts to transform you, starts to change you. And something really weird starts to happen that we don't get naturally. We start to care about other people. Think about a two-year-old. There's the occasional compassionate two-year-old, but most of them just want the Tonka truck for themselves. And we grow into that and we scale up to that in our whole life. And yes, there are, I mean, there are good people who, who recognize you should love other people. But here's what happens. It's not just that we put up with other people. It's that because of God's transformation, we realize it's our obligation to love other people. We are expected to. That's what God wants from us. Even when it's hard, even when they're mean, even when they hurt us, we're called to love them. The same book that has John 3.16 in it, this is the book of John also. You can find this in market if you want to, but this is in John chapter 20, near the very end of the gospel of John. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so it's really great that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that anyone who believes in him will ha have eternal life. But Jesus says, look, the Father sent me. Guess what I'm doing? I'm sending you. You have a job to do. You have an obligation. You have a mission. And it is to love people. And so if you've already given your life to Jesus today and you call yourself a Christian, I'm going to tell you, if you're not actively doing this every day, then it's something you need to work on. God's grace is still sufficient, and he's still going to save your soul, and he still loves you. But I'm telling you, if you're not living this out as like one of the main motives of why you do things, again, how you spend your time, how you make, spend your money, how you invest your relationships, if that thing doesn't funnel into how can I love people with the love of God, you're missing something that God has for you. And I said that we're all looking for superheroes, but I just want to say it this way. I don't know that God's looking for superheroes. I think he's just looking for regular, ordinary, everyday heroes. You don't have to be able to, you know, have metal claws through your hands so you can fight the bad guy or shoot webs out of your wrist or use laser vision. You don't have to be super wealthy. You don't have to be super intelligent. Thank goodness. You just have to be willing. And you have to be present. And you have to be available. What does it mean to be a love agent? So Jesus is having this conversation and we already kind of tapped into a little bit from Mark a minute ago. But we're going to look at in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. So if you want to flip over to Luke, that's where we'll spend the rest of our time today. Uh, and Jesus is having this conversation. And one of these um, kind of experts in the law comes up to him like a religious leader. And he's like, okay, 
right, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And then that guy leans back on his proverbial rocking chair, and I think he twists his little whiskers, and he says, okay, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but who's my neighbor, Jesus? Who's my neighbor? There was this concept in this first century Jewish culture that you should definitely be hospitable. But there were some people that were just dogs. And those some people you can kind of avoid and you can get out of their way and you don't have to really love them. Yeah, 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 Jesus, but who is my neighbor? So Jesus launches into this story. Uh, you may have, if you've looked it up, you've already seen like the, the caption that your Bible probably in, wrote in there. It's the, one of the most famous teachings Jesus ever did. People who are not Christians know this story. There are organizations named after this thing. The story is the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. But this story is probably one of the most provocative stories Jesus ever told. He intentionally was poking a bear when he told this story. He was really trying to get under people's uh, skin with this story. And I want to look at it today. And there's a good chance you've heard this story. There's a good chance you're kind of familiar with it. I often say this if it's a story that's very, very common. I want you to try to wipe your mind. And I want you to hear it with fresh ears today. Because I believe that God has something to tell you through this story that maybe you didn't even know you needed to hear. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 starting at verse 30. Who is my neighbor, Jesus? In verse 30, he says, in reply... Jesus says, okay, so imagine a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. So there was this road, and, and it's a road from, uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem that people knew was a, a bad neighborhood, okay? They actually called this place the Pass of Blood. Like, it had a reputation for, like, if you're going to go down there, you're probably going to get beat up, okay? So probably make sure you go during the daytime and take a stick, because you, you might have to fight for your life. Like, this was the reputation of this neighborhood. Jesus picks this neighborhood intentionally because it takes all the people to that spot, you know? You've been in that, that part of town where you instinctively want to lock your doors. This is that spot. And this guy, like many others, is robbed. He's beaten up. They take his clothes and they leave him half dead. Jesus continues, verse 31. It says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Priest. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. All right, so a priest and a Levite, the audience that Jesus is talking to would have instinctively thought of the priest and Levite as the hero of any story. There are leaders. These are the religious leaders, uh, and there's a lot of politics that went into it, especially this time Jesus was, Jesus was teaching. But the whole idea is that this guy, half dead on the side of the road, if anybody's going to help them, it should be the priest or the Levite. The Levite was uh, a clan of Jews, that, uh, the tribe of Jews that, that actually be, could become priests. So, Jesus continues. And he intentionally uses this, guys, because this is, the, this is the, the mentality they would have had. Verse 33. To the guy still laid on the road, okay? Two people have already passed him by. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, the Samaritan took pity on him. Jesus introduces the Samaritan. Again, don't get ahead of me. If you heard this story, I know, you know, you could teach the story, whatever. Listen. The Samaritan is introduced as the hero of the story. He takes pity on the guy that got beat up. 
And if you didn't already know this, what you've got to know is that the Jewish people were extremely racist towards the Samaritan people. They considered them half-breeds. There was a part of their history when the Assyrians move in, they kind of take over this area of Samaria, they intermarry with Jewish people, and the children that they produce become the Samaritans, and the full-blooded Jew would look at a Samaritan who they felt were like just dogs, and they looked down. In fact, that's what they would call them, dogs. You probably heard the stories, like if you had to go from Galilee to Jerusalem, and the quickest way would be to go through Samaria, they'd go around it. This literally happened. There's a great story in John chapter 4 where Jesus doesn't do that and really blows his disciples' minds. And so he's talking to this group of Jews. The guy's beat up. The priest passes him by. The Levite passes him by. But then the Samaritan has compassion on him, has pity on him. In verse 34. This is what the Samaritan does. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, a little first century first aid kit, pretty cool, on the wounds. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So he's used his resources, his oil and his wine. He's put him on his own donkey. Now this guy's walking, leading a donkey, takes him to an inn. I don't know if you've ever stayed at a hotel, but they ain't free. And he takes care of him. The next day, he takes two denarii, some money. He gives it to the innkeeper, which is just a homeowner probably. This isn't like Holiday Inn. This is just somebody's house, but they had some room and board options. And he says to the homeowner, to the innkeeper, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I was talking to a couple of guys over in the corner here before we got here, and it's interesting how far we go sometimes to help people. There's someone on the corner with a sign, and they need a buck or they need a meal, and we'll take them something, and we feel real good about ourselves. This guy's like slowing his day down, using his donkey and walking, and he pays the innkeeper and then says, listen, I'm going to take full responsibility for this guy's recovery. I can't stay. Thank you for taking it. I'm going to go to work, do what I need to do, but I'll come back and I'll make sure to pay you extra to make sure you took care of him. And the audience that was listening would have been stunned, like, well, I didn't see that happening. Jesus, why would you tell this story? Uh, yesterday I was watching College Game Day. And uh, you know college game day, so, so it comes on Saturday mornings, and so all the, the talking heads from ESPN get on, and they start picking predictions for who's going to win the college games. And I love those games because they always take place at a, a university. This week they were at Appalachian State University, who's had a really great couple years of college football. And Luke Combs, country singer, was the guest speaker. Did, did anybody see Luke Combs on there yesterday? They said, I don't know. Y'all come from, it's college football. You're supposed to watch it. It's an American tradition. All right, you get on there, and, and the celebrity speaker is supposed to pick uh, who's going to win at the game that's being played at this university. And it's Appalachian State versus who they play? Troy, yeah, ooh, that was a game. And, uh, but Luke Combs went to Appalachian State, and anyway, he picks Appalachian State, and everybody loses their mind. Now, here's the deal. I think he was probably doing a concert there or something. He's a celebrity. There's like 10,000 college students right there with, uh, you know, cell phone cords or something they could choke him with. I don't know. You never go into college game, game day and pick against the team that you're standing in front of their fans. That's my point. Okay, the cheerleaders are behind. They're going to pom-pom him to death. Like, you just don't. You go in and you please the crowd, okay? Appalachian State's going to win. And they did in the last two seconds of the game. Something like a 50-something yard pass and yard pass and the guy's going to touch and it was incredible. But Luke Combs picked the, the home team. If you're a smart politician, if you're a smart communicator, you want to pick the home team. And Jesus looks right in the eyes of this religious leader and says, you know who the hero was? The Samaritan. And I don't know if they lost their mind, they hissed at him or they yelled. But then Jesus looks back at the guy who asked him the original question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, 
Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, the answer is obvious. I don't know how long it took for the guy to answer. In the book of Lucas, the very next verse, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him was his neighbor. And then Jesus told him, okay, you go and do likewise. That's the story. Sometimes in life, we just need to have our eyes open to what it really means to take care of the needs around us. I hear all kinds of stories about people trying to meet needs because, and they don't understand the needs that they're trying to meet. There's a great book by a guy named Shane Claiborne called uh, The Irresistible Revolution. He worked in a homeless community in, I think it was Philadelphia, and he talked about how often people would donate microwave popcorn to homeless people. Does anyone see a problem? But they're so disconnected from the need that they don't even understand. Oh, yeah, I got extra microwave popcorn. These people don't have microwaves. <laughs> And what does it mean for us to have our eyes open to the need and then really meet the need, not just feel good about ourselves because we made a donation to something, but to get in the nitty-gritty with people and love them? There's a lot of great lessons in this story, and we really could talk about a lot of them, but and it's probably why it was one of Jesus' famous teach, most famous teachings, but I believe the thing that I, I want us to see today is what does it truly mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean to be a love agent? What does it mean for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this city? Mankind has collectively turned our backs on God. And one thing I love about our God is that he didn't turn his back on us. So he steps into the fray himself. He comes as Jesus and he gives his own life to give us the promise of new life through him. And then through the church... God's kingdom on earth. He says, you are my active agents now. Jesus says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty, and you gave me some food when I was hungry, and you visited me when I was in prison, and you gave me clothes when I didn't have any clothes to wear. And his followers said, well, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or in prison or having no clothes? And he said, well, anytime you've done this for the least of these, this has been done for me. It's been done in my name to my people. For 2,000 years, the church has taken that and has made a difference. And we do it the same way that Jesus did. Jesus didn't win the hearts of the world by having tens of thousands of military people and conquering people like other emperors and generals have done throughout history. He didn't do it for running for public office. He didn't become a politician. Though, read the book, they tried to make him king several times, but he wasn't interested in it. He did simple things. You know what Jesus did? He fed hungry people. He hugged people who were lonely. He took time to speak with outcast people. He played with children. He comforted people dealing with loss and pain. He also used miraculous power to show the power of God in his life. And so when we take a look at that, we're like, well, I don't do miracles. Well, maybe not. But the reality is that if you step back and, and if, if you know Jesus today, hopefully he's begun to transform you. And guess what? The story of your life is what happens when the power of God comes into someone's life. And so you can say things like, look, I had this addiction. And through the grace of God and the community that he's put me in, I've been able to come through this addiction. Or I had a broken marriage and I was able to restore that. Or I've been through this and this and this. And God's power brought me back to a place that I need to be. And so, yeah, th those are the things the world needs to see. 
Because the world's standing there with your arms crossed going, prove it. You can say, well, I mean, I'm proof of that. Actually, I got some friends I go to church with. They're proof of that. Let me let you meet them. And Jesus was an agent, agent of God's love through the simple things and through the power of God. And it literally has changed the world. And so then he calls on us, ordinary people, to stand in the gap as his hands and his feet and to be heroes. To do something about it. So I want, I want to take a step back and I want to examine the idea of God's love. Um, because I think we need to hear this. Who does God love? I've got a good friend. His name is Vince Antonucci. He's also an author. He wrote a book called God for the Rest of Us. And uh, we've actually used that book here. And a lot of you have bought it and read it. I did a sermon series called God for the Rest of Us. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's on Amazon. We might have some copies in the back to give away. I don't know if we have any right now. Um, but uh, he has this thing, and you can look it up on YouTube. It's called the ABC Book of People that God Loves. And I love it. And uh, so YouTube is great. Now, I'm not going to read you the whole ABC book of people that God loves because we just don't have time for that today. But I'm going to give you the first three letters of the alphabet. And uh, let's talk about who God loves. Because we need to understand this and we need to hear this. And it's a little bit fun. A, God loves astronauts. God loves aerospace engineers. God loves accountants and accordion players, airplane pilots, athletes, acrobats, and people from Alaska. He loves the Amish country, Alabama, astrologers, animal rights activists, adulterers, abusers, and alcoholics. B, God loves babies and bankers and baby boomers and boy band members, ballerinas and Bible readers, biology teachers and bird watchers, bus drivers, bookworms, bachelors, botanists, bowlers, baby boomers, beekeepers, blondes, brunettes, and people with blue hair. He loves bosses and bag ladies and bartenders, brats, and people with braces. He loves Baptists and Buddhists and barbershop quartets. God loves barflies and the Brady Bunch and Tom Brady, Beyonce, George Bush, both of them, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and Biden. C, God loves people who are cute. God loves children, compassionate people, Caucasians, Cubans, Californians, Cambodians, Cowboys fans, and Cowboys haters. He loves cooks, celebrities, Cherokees, Comanches, Cajuns, I guarantee, cops, cheerleaders, clowns, cheapskates, cowards, comedians, Catholics, charismatics, congregationalists, congressmen, congresswomen, conscientious objectors, crooks, creeps, cheaters, charlatans, conceited, crystal meth junkies, cat lovers, and Chris Pratt. God bless that man. And the list goes on, and I'm not going to do the whole alphabet, but man... God loves the whole world, and he loves people that you disagree with, and he loves people who are mean to you, and he loves your friends, and he loves your families, and he loves your next-door neighbor. And that's why God sent Jesus, because God so loved the world, and that's why God sends you, because God so loves the world. I need to say this, because if you're here today, and, and you're not, if you're on the fence, or you're not sure where your faith really lies, and you're like, I, I wouldn't call myself a Christian, I want to tell you it's great to have you here today, and I want to tell you it's totally okay that you're working through that journey, but I want you to know that God loves you. No matter your background, no matter your baggage, the creator of the universe has space for you and his family, and we want to be family to you too. And so as you continue on this journey, I hope that you'll continue on to this journey with us or with somebody who knows the love of Jesus, and that can help you find that path, and that you too can 
be a God chaser, be shaped by his grace, and then become a love agent with us to help shape this world. I love this verse from the book of the, uh, from, from uh, Romans in the Bible. The apostle Paul writes this, and he's, he's really talking about what it means to love. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I want to challenge you this week. This isn't our official challenge, but it's a good challenge. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 9 through 16. My challenge is that you will read that verse every day this week. That passage. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 16. And this is why. There are so many layers to that passage. What does it mean to love people? One of my biggest takeaways, though, is how intentionally it points that God loves all people and he wants us to put other people first. Even those who persecute us, even those who are against us, even those in low position compared to you. That his kingdom and his righteousness come first. And that he wants us to love others, even if they're our enemies, even if they're a Samaritan. That's a love agent. In 100 AD, going on a little history trip, there are an estimated 25,000 Christians in the world. 25,000. All right, that's about a quarter of the population of our like, county, okay? It's not very many people that are Christians. 25,000. 3,000 of them became Christians on the first day, okay? This is 100 years later. Well, no, just a couple of years later, 30, 40 years later. There's only 25,000 in the whole world. And then, for 200 years, Christianity was made illegal in the Roman Empire. I mean, they're crucifying Christians. They're hanging them up on the side of the road. They're killing church leaders. It's bad. And it wasn't until 311 AD when that ban on Christianity was lifted. What do you think happened to Christianity in that 200 years? There were no church buildings. There were no Christian radio stations. There were no self-help books written by Francis Chan and uh, Joyce Meyer and I don't know whoever books you read. There, there was no small group to join like from some mega church that made it really easy. There were no Christian bookstores. There were no Christian websites or podcasts. What happened to the church in 200 years where Christianity was illegal and you would literally lose your life? What happened? What do you think happened in that 200 years? Well, you would think that the movement died out. But that's not what happened. Despite the fact that it was a risk to their lives, believers continued to live like Jesus. To love one another, to share the message of hope, and to love others who were hurting. They cared for the sick. They were leading the charge and taking care of orphans in various cities that they lived in. And in the 200 years, Christianity grew from 25,000 people to over 20 million people when the ban was lifted. Being a love agent works. It changes lives, it transforms people, and it's worth it. It's obviously worth it. These people were willing to risk their lives, and it continues into modern times. In 1949, Christianity was outlawed in communist China by the leader of Mao Zedong. 
He kicked out the missionaries. He confiscated church property and burned down buildings. He killed the pastor in every church that he could find. And then he would try to find the second in command in each church. And he would imprison them to send a message. We will not have Christians. Their goal was to completely exterminate Christianity in communist China. At this time, there were two to three million known Christians in China. And this lasted for 27 years, nearly a generation, three decades, until Zedong died and his ban on Christianity was lifted. What happened to Christianity in 27 years in China? Many people assumed that Christianity had died in that country. And of course, that was the goal of the Communist Party, but instead, Christianity went underground. Secret meeting places and secret Bible studies, and they never stopped loving people. And in that 27 years, Christianity grew from 2 to 3 million people to approximately 60 million believers in China. Loving people with the love of God works. It's worth it. It's transformative. And it's not just something we do on Sundays. It's something we're called to do by the love of God. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent Christians. He sent them to ancient Rome. He sent them to China. And guess what? He sent you to Wilmington. And there are people in this world who need to know the love of God. And it might be inconvenient because sometimes churches ask for a lot of volunteer hours. And it might be hard because you've got a vacation planned. And it might be difficult because, man, there's some really good stuff on TV that takes my mind in a different place. And yes, you're dealing with your own brokenness and your own pain. But the church, guys, is not what we do on Sunday. It's what we do every other day of the week. It's how we live out the love of God in our lives. Carrying that being the hands and feet of our God. If you call Jesus of your Lord, this is your mission. To be a love agent. So here's this week's challenge. Uh, I told you earlier, Venture Church this week turns nine years old. Many years in the past we've done like birthday parties and stuff. We decided like nine's not that impressive. Ten's much better. So we're going to throw down next year on ten years. Um, but, uh, but every year we have something we call Love Agent Week. Uh, I encourage you to go check out loveagentweek.com. If you haven't already, please do before you, you, you get into tomorrow. But tomorrow kicks off Love Agent Week. And it's just simple. These are small strategic acts of loving people with the love of God. And every single day is a different challenge. And they're bite-sized. And you can do them. But if you don't, you won't. You've got to just do them. Okay, and so I want you to talk about a couple of these challenges. Monday is Love your neighbor day. In fact, I think I want to change it to love your literal neighbor day. Like there's someone that lives near you, next door to you. If you're an apartment complex, you might share a four inch thick wall with them. Okay. Love them. How? Bake them cookies. Go mow their grass. Uh, Make sure that, you know, something that they need is taken care of. If they're an elderly person, go see if they need some help with something. Love your actual neighbor. This is a small act of love. Pray for them by name in your mind as you do it. Now, hopefully this will lead to a long-term relationship with them that can grow into an eventual conversation about their faith. And if they don't know Jesus already, they can through you. But start this week on Monday. Love your actual neighbor day. Tuesday is share a meal. Share a meal. Sharing a meal is one of the greatest ways to, uh, to, do, to, to, to grow in relationships. And so uh, on the share a meal day, um, you know, maybe invite someone out to lunch at work or whatever. One thing we're doing, I told you earlier, is we're having Taco Tuesday. And it's going to be at the the islands in Ogden. I've already talked about that. But come out there at 6 p.m. and come share a meal with your whole church family. But bring a friend. Introduce them to somebody. There can only be like six or or eight people at a table. Of course, we take all the tables and we make like a big caterpillar of tables. And so it's actually like 30 people at a table. But the people that you're sitting with, 
build communion with them. Just love them, sharing a meal. Wednesday, love a hero day. And so what we're talking about is community heroes, everyday heroes. We're talking about the first responders. We're talking about the firefighters and the police officers. Take them a snack, write them a letter, stop by and just say thank you. We're talking about the teachers that teach our children to get them something in the pickup line and hand it to them out the window if you know that you're going to see them. Like just do something to love a hero. Thursday is say thanks. You know something we uh, are really bad at is saying thanks. Someone does something really good for us. It might, we might be like, thanks. And, but like, maybe take the time to write them a handwritten card. Someone who's made a difference in their life, send them a gift card. Do something to be like, I just, you made a difference in my life, and I want to love you back for that. Thanks. Friday is encouragement day. I hope that you've had someone lean into your ear, put their hand on your shoulder, and tell you, you're doing a good job. Because you probably needed to hear that. Who's someone you can encourage? Someone you could strategically encourage because you know that they're down or you know that you're going through a hard time. I know we've got a handful of college students that we've got some community with right now. Just, just talk to them before you leave there. Hey, what do you need? Listen, and then on, on uh, what is it, Friday, encourage them by sending them a gift card to get some food or giving them a call or shooting them a text. Tell them you're going to do all right on that test we talked about on Sunday. Encouragement is a big way to love people. And then Saturday is random acts of kindness. Like, people don't see it coming. It's unexpected. You're getting breakfast at McDonald's with your kids before you take them to the morning soccer game. And you're like, hey, uh, the person that's behind me line i'm just gonna pay for their food just do it pull off don't be like hey it was me it was me not just random acts of kindness just pull out when you get to that soccer game bring an extra cup of coffee and give it to that mom who clearly needs it (laughs) it's random acts of kindness don't don't you got to plan it but just do it now this is not because like this is the gold stars that we earn to get into heaven because i'm sorry there's no system like that (laughs) that's grace we talked about that last week go listen to the podcast But it's an opportunity for you to practice being the hands and feet of Jesus. Because this is the kind of stuff we should be doing every day. And there's bigger, bigger things that need to be done. These are bite-sized. As a church, we say we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And that's what it means to be a love agent. An everyday hero, sharing God's love by putting others first. Together we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents, and you have been called to be the ultimate hero by introducing people to the love of your Lord Jesus. Let me pray for us today.